to say that it's so good to see each one of you. Um, as I as I mill around before the service, out in the lobby, and different things, I I sometimes feel like I don't do a very good job of getting around to to say hellos to people. Um, but I just want you to know that I appreciate each one of you, and when I see your face each week, it, it, it warms my heart, and I'm so glad to see you, and so glad to be a part of serving the Lord with you. It's a joy, and it's a privilege. I want to welcome those online again, and just uh, direct uh, your attention to the digital bulletin so that you can see the sermon notes, and those who are here, you've been given some sermon notes, but uh, we're going to go through this today uh, together, and some of you might be wondering, you know, why this, why this sermon series, why this topic, why, why is it that we're talking about such things, is this, is this really necessary, and um, I want to tell you that, that probably about three months ago, and that's a guess, it could have been four, <laughs> it could have been six, who knows, um, but I would say probably around three months ago, uh, Barbie was telling me about a former co-worker and their spouse and how uh, they, had, they had moved away and uh, she, as we a lot of times all do, uh, kind of like kept track of each other on Facebook. And uh, she was telling me about this, this former co-worker and their spouse and, and how they had done what is called a deconstruction of their faith. Now this was um, not really a new idea, but it was a new term for me. I really heard of it termed that way. And so she was telling me about it, and, and basically for these coworkers, what that meant was they began a process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting um, aspects of their Christian faith. And actually for them in particular, it doesn't happen with everybody that goes through this process. But for them in particular, it had gotten to the point where they completely walked away from God, and um, and that was that was sad to hear. Uh, she was very sad that they had done that, uh, grieved, grieved. Uh, it wasn't, but probably a few weeks later that I heard that somebody that I know, um, a couple that were very involved in their church, very very involved, actually on staff, had done the same thing. They had deconstructed their faith, and they had walked away from God. They had walked away from the church and God. And, uh, and it, what was interesting was that both of these couples were now on social media actively trying to get other people to walk away from church and God uh, to a point where it's like, it's like their mission. They've made it a mission. And it's interesting because when someone like that makes something like that a mission, we think, wow, they're really putting a lot of effort into this. 
And sometimes it makes me think, we've been given a mission. Why aren't we putting more effort into our mission? You know? I've also heard of others, um, not really personally, but I've heard people say that their friends have done the same thing. So I really believe that because I've been hearing about this and, and all of these kinds of things, that the Lord laid on my heart to talk about our foundations, to talk about why, not just what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. And, and I, and I got to tell you that growing up, um, and, I, and I love the church that I grew up in. I, I love the church that I grew up. I love the people there. And, and when I see those people, I just, I have these really warm feelings and wonderful feelings towards them, even though they call me Chucky. Can't, right? Charlie's like amen in me because he probably knows and understands. But I can't get with that. Don't you dare call me Chucky. <laughs> we will have a problem. Um. But, but honestly, as much as I love that church, I, I got to be honest that I was told what to believe, but I was never really instructed, instructed why to believe it. And maybe many of you can, can identify with that. And so, you know, I'm trying to make sure that what we're doing is we're trying to get to the point where we can... Uh, not necessarily defend our faith, but, but understand why we have this faith. And so, you know, so some questions that came to me, you know, just some questions, uh, not only why do we believe what we believe, but is there a good reason to believe what we believe? And does God care about evidence? And when I thought of that in particular, I thought, you know what, he does care about evidence because... He's given us a lot of evidence. He's an evidential God. And so he's given us this evidence, and, and we began to see evidence really all throughout the Word of God. Uh, when, when I began to think about uh, the kind of evidence that he has given, I was doing my devotion this week, uh, journaling through the Word of God, and, and, and I came to John 14 and, and journaled there, but... John 14, 11 said, uh, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus said that. Believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, he was saying, if you can't believe me when I tell you that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, then at least believe because you've seen me do these miracles. You know, you, you've seen me feed the 5,000. You've seen me walk on the water. You've seen me uh, heal the blind and the lame. And, and you've seen me do all of these things. At least believe in the evidence of the works, the miracles. And so Jesus was pointing to evidence for belief. Uh, when we look at the eyewitnesses that God has given us, the, the eyewitnesses are evidence. That's what an eyewitness is. It's, it's a person who provides evidence. Like if a, a person is trying to make a, a, a case in court and they call an eyewitness to testify, they're doing that to produ produce evidence to make their case. 
to make their point. And so there's all kinds of evidence throughout the word. Uh, we're going to start uh, this with the scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, this is really one of the oldest portions of scripture that we have in the, in the New Testament. Uh, very early, dated very early uh, in the first century. And this is what, wow, I just realized I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> See, when Barbie's not here, I just fall all to pieces. I, <laughs> all right. Yeah, maybe I better do that, yeah. Because I might be halfway down the aisle to read, to read that. So it says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the, all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. What is that? That's evidence, right? That's evidence. He's, he's laying out an evidence. He's, he's helping people to, to understand that Jesus supplied evidence of his resurrection. Now, that made me think, uh, what if Jesus would not have supplied evidence? Because he could have risen from the dead bodily in bodily form, because that's what we believe as Christians, right? That Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form. Not that it was a spirit or if it was, it was mystical, but that he rose from the dead in bodily form. We need to believe that as believers, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, right? So what if Jesus would have risen from the dead in bodily form, moved the stone away, stepped out of the, of the tomb, moved the stone back, okay, which, which he didn't do, but all right, just follow me, moved the stone back and then went ahead and rose into heaven without seeing anybody, He could have done that, but he chose to do it a different way. Why? To provide evidence. Yeah. To give us evidence. And this, the scripture tells us that how many people that he appeared to, so many. He provided evidence. If you tie this scripture together with like the gospel narratives, uh, we realize that he also appeared uh, to the women at the tomb. He appeared to two on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to uh, the disciples without Thomas. Then he appeared to the disciples with Thomas. Now that's significant because that second time that he appeared to the disciples and Thomas was present, Thomas was what? Doubting. Unfortunately, we all call him Doubting Thomas. That's really unfortunate. I don't think he really deserves that title, but he's, he's got it anyway. And, and so Thomas was doubting, and so what did Jesus do? <laughs> he gave him some evidence, right? 
He said, Thomas, if you're doubting, come and feel the scars in my hands and my side. Jesus cared enough about evidence to give Thomas some reason to believe. Right? It's really, it's really gracious of Jesus to do such a thing. But also, I think, loving. I, I think he cared enough about Thomas to give him that proof. Now, also concerning Thomas, and, and uh, this is a kind of apart from that proof, but I believe it's also evidence and evidential proof. Thomas, if you don't know this, Thomas actually ended up traveling to India. Okay, this is historical. Thomas went to India. That's a long ways away from, from Jerusalem. But Thomas went to India. And what did Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go to the all nations, right? Uh, we also see that in Mark 16. We also see that in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Jesus telling the disciples to go all over. Thomas took it serious. So he ends up in India preaching to those in India. Now, there's a 2011 uh, census that, that tells us, and I, there may have been one since then, but there's a 2011 census that tells us that there are 27 million people in India who are Christians. One person started that. Old doubting Thomas. Let's drop doubting, right? Jesus appeared to the disciples when they went fishing. He made, God made a robust evidential defense that Jesus rose from the dead. Robust. And I love that. I love the fact that it's, a, it's so robust. I love that God doesn't tell us to check our brains at the door. He doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He invites us to come in here using our heads and using our hearts. And, and I think that's important. Come in thinking and believing. Uh, because the thinking part helps the belief part. And God knew that, that that was important. Now, there's a scripture in John 17, 20 that says that Jesus was praying. And it, it, actually, that whole 17th chapter of John is Jesus praying. And in that chapter, when you get to verse 20, Jesus is praying for his disciples but it also says that he is praying for those who would believe their testimony, who would believe their witness, okay? And so Jesus was actually praying for you and me when he prayed that prayer because we're here believing because of the witness of the disciples, right? Very, that's very important. That's very important to understand. So he prayed that witness would help us believe. Then when you get to Acts, the very first sermon ever preached, Peter says in his sermon, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Okay? So um, we, we're, witnesses are produced to produce evidence. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So I believe God is an evidential God. So he has provided eyewitness accounts. 
He has provided evidence through archaeology. He has provided evidence through ancient church leaders who followed the eyewitnesses. He has provided evidence through non-Christian historians of that biblical time period. In other words, there were Christians who were, or, or there were um, historians who were not Christians. They, they were not believers. They didn't believe anything uh, of what was being uh, um, witnessed about Jesus. But they themselves knew that it was history, and so they were writing about it. And what they wrote about was coinciding exactly with what we're reading in the scriptures. And so we have this non-Christian evidence that goes along with what we read in the Bible. Now, there's examples of this all throughout uh, historical documents. One particular historical doc document is written by a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus. And Tacitus lived from, I think it was 56 AD into the, first, into the, to the second century. And Tacitus wrote an account of this, uh, what was going on in Judea, uh, so that people could understand, the Roman people could understand the things that were happening. And he mentions this group of followers who follows this man, Christus. Okay? And he mentions that Christus was executed in the most terrible way by the curator, the procurator, Pontius Pilate. And so you go through this, what he, what he says, and it lines up with exactly what we read about in the scriptures, in the gospels. Now, again, there's, there's a lot more examples of this, and, and we, we could do that, but we won't do that. But you can find them. If you're interested, you can find them. What God has given us is a vigorous collection of evidence, and we need to know that we're putting our faith where there is not only the element of faith, because God will never take away the need for faith, okay? But also, we have this wonderful um, evidence that helps us to think it through and believe because of what we have heard and seen and read from the witnesses. So I think it's, I think it's terrific. So where we're at in this sermon series is talking about truth. And, and it's interesting because I went to this movie. It's called uh, Jesus Revolution. Anybody heard of that? And so I went to this movie, and it starts out, and it's about, it's, it's back in the, the days of the, uh, the, the hippies. <laughs> And, uh, and so back in those days when this happened, this, this event happened, um, it, the movie starts out, and I'm not going to give you too much of it in case you haven't seen it and you want to see it, but the movie starts out and these people are like, they want to find truth, right? And they're like, oh, we want to find truth, man, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they're just like, they're like that, you know, and it's like. It, the movie started out, and I thought, where is this going? You know, I wasn't sure. But, um, but that's what this is about. What I want you to think about today is, is truth. I want you to realize that there is such a thing as objective, absolute truth. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? Something is objective if it has 
correspondence with reality. Let me give you some uh, examples. Objective truth is truth for everyone, whether they agree with it or not. Okay? Objective truth is truth for everyone, whether they agree with it or not. So 2 plus 2 equals, I figured I was going to have somebody like say 5 or something. I, 2 plus 2 is obviously 4. If I had a bucket here that was empty and I had rocks and I threw two rocks in there and then I waited and I threw two more rocks in there, how many rocks would be in the bucket? And that's true for it. I heard that. I heard that. I knew it was coming. I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> so that's true for everyone. We could pick up the bucket, we could look, and everybody would see four rocks. It's, it's just objective truth. It's absolute truth. Um, the time right now is 11.56. The clock's big enough I can see it. Uh, it's 11.56, and some of you might be like, ah, it's actually 11.58, or, you know. <laughs> but you know what I mean. We're, we're in that ballpark, okay? As long as we're in this time zone, we're in that ballpark. That's true for everyone, okay? If someone shows up two hours from now, and they say, you know, in two hours from now, it, it would be, uh, what, 1.57. But they come in the door, and they say, no, for me, it's 10.45, service is supposed to be starting we'd be like no that's not how it works you can't do that you can't make up your own time you got every time is true for everyone okay is it is that all making sense let's get out of the mathematical part of it okay it's wrong to kill a puppy for fun i got your attention with that one didn't i absolutely got your attention with that one it's wrong to kill a puppy for fun. Can we all agree on that? Absolutely. And anybody that, that doesn't agree on that, we're, we're going to take you somewhere when we get done here today. Probably to jail. I don't know. All right. So it's true for everyone. Right? All right, one more. I've got to give you one more. So I'm out in the lobby, I see a key ring, and on that key ring I see this really fancy key fob, okay? And I think, man, that key fob probably goes to a really nice car. And I pick that up, I go over to the windows over there, and I press the button, and sure enough, a little toot of a horn, a little blink of his lights, and it's a nicer car than mine. And I take that, and I go, and I take that car, and I leave. Oh my, what is that called? No, it's not called sharing, it's called stealing. <laughs> it's called stealing, that's not called sharing. Unless that person says, hey, here's my keys, go, go for a ride. No, that's called stealing and we all agree that's wrong, right? I mean, that is wrong. We don't take things that are not ours. So. Do, do we all agree with this? I think we do. These are objective truths. Now we know these things will be true for all of us, and, and, if, and if you decided it wasn't true, that wouldn't make it right. 
it would still be wrong, and we would all help you know that. So if you hear someone say there are objective truths, now you can know what they're talking about. Subjective truths are the opposite of objective truths. It's probably not accurate to call what is subjective truths. It's probably more accurate to call them opinions, right? So, so here's an example of that. I believe that a 1966 Ford Mustang is the coolest car ever made. <laughs> I got an agreement there. Who all agrees with that? Only a few hands, okay? Only a few hands. So in this group, there's probably like a lot of different opinions on what is the coolest car ever made. That's correct? Yeah. Because that's an opinion, right? That's an opinion. So uh, there is no way to measure that statement against reality. It cannot be evaluated apart from the opinions of others. Many of these things people can agree upon. I think we've been very agreeable so far today. But when we get into spiritual matters, people start to get squeamish. <laughs> the reason for this is because we don't like when God and His Word tells us what to believe, how to live, what to do, what not to do, how to treat people, and the list goes on and on. We don't, we don't like that. We don't like to be told, right? We don't like to be told. So we ended last week with 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4. That's where we're starting out. And I just said starting, and that scared some of you. But uh, trust me, we're going to go through this as quickly as we can. If you need to leave, I understand. I, I get it. And you won't offend me. You won't offend me if you need to leave. But we're going to go through this today. And someone might want to tell the kids, the kids' workers. Someone might want to go tell them. Because we're going to be here for probably another 15 minutes, okay? All right, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 4. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they, have, uh, because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. I want you to see something in particular in that passage in verse 4. It says that people will turn away from hearing the truth. This isn't talking about subjective truth. People aren't turning away from subjective truth. 
they're not turning away from um, my favorite dessert is an ice cream sundae. Right? If you agree with that, you're fine. If you disagree with that, you're not like trying to refute me. Prove me wrong. Okay? Because it's not a big deal. It's just our opinion. No, when it says that people are turning away from truth, it's talking about objective truth, absolute truth, God's truth. People were turning away from what God is saying. And so they're turning away from this objective truth of the word of God. This isn't just talking about a truth, some truth, a convenient truth. This is talking about the truth. Our God is a God of truth, objective truth. From the beginning, God gave his creation truth to live by. Truth to live by. Now, uh, from, and I think I might have given you the wrong scripture. Is it Genesis 1 or 2? One, I meant two. We'll just we'll just go there and read it. Um, you don't have to put it on the screen. That's totally my fault. Totally my bad. Um, so Genesis two, uh, verses eight and nine, says this: The Lord God planted a garden in the Eden in the east, and there He placed the man He had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good. For food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, that's 8 and 9. When you drop down to 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, if we look at that verse, in uh, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, we could very easily say, the Lord God gave this truth to man. The Lord God gave this objective truth, this absolute truth to man. You can eat anything in this garden. And I've given you so much to eat. I've given you so much of good food. I mean, it, the fruit of these trees are luscious. They're wonderful. They're juicy. They're tasty. And I've given you everything you need. And the, the look of this garden is amazing. You're just going to be able to go through this garden every day and look at its beauty and eat of its fruit. And you have Eve and you're going to have that relationship that I've given you. And you have all of these blessings that I've given you. You have everything good that you need. But here's the truth, Adam and Eve. There's one tree that you cannot eat of. That's the truth. We know that they disobeyed that truth. They, they, they decided they didn't like that truth. Along with that definitive truth that God gave, he gave this abundance of blessing and everything they needed, but it wasn't enough. What we see is mankind right from the beginning deconstructing God's truth to do what they want to do. So this deconstructing thing, it's not new. You remember the scripture that says there's nothing new under the sun? <laughs> there really isn't. 
So from the beginning, man began to deconstruct God's truth. Why? Because they wanted their ears tickled. (laughs) They wanted to do what they want. (laughs) So they threw out God's objective truth for what they wanted to be true for them. We, We see how that worked for them. It didn't. It didn't work. So, so what 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 is telling us is that as time goes on, okay, it, it, this started in the, in the beginning, but as time goes on, 2 Timothy is telling us it's just going to get worse and worse. And I think that we've witnessed that. Let me give you some scripture to wrap this up. First, uh, this is from uh, John 17, uh, 17 through 20. John 17, 17 through 20. It says, sanctify them by the truth. This is Jesus. Again, this is a prayer. This is a prayer of Jesus. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And so there's that scripture that I was telling you about. But, but what we see here, and, and I love what Tony Evans says about verse 17. Verse 17, uh, could you put verse 17 back up there? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This is what Tony Evans says about that. He says, this process happens by internalizing the eternal truth of God's word. You internalize God's word not by merely hearing it, and reading it, but by trusting and obeying it. Then its work of spiritual transformation is activated in your life. I I love that. I love that. So Jesus prayed that his disciples would be made holy. He he prayed that they, they would be made holy. And in other versions, it reads that Jesus prayed that his disciples would be consecrated by the truth. And that word consecrated by the truth... That word consecrated comes from a Greek word. I'm going to spell it and not pronounce it because I probably wouldn't pronounce it the right way. H-A-G-I-A-Z-E-I-N. Okay? Looks like hagiazin. Anybody who's a Greek scholar, you can let me know later. Okay? One of the ideas of hagiazin is to equip people with the qualities of mind and heart and character which are necessary for the task. So we are to serve God. We must have God's heart, his character, and his wisdom in us. How? Jesus was praying, by your word, sanctify them by your word. Implant the words of God in your heart. There's a couple scriptures that I'm going to wrap up with. This first one is... um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. What, what good, what good is this? It sanctifies us. It activates 
ourselves for service, for being consecrated and being ready to serve God. And it helps us to be equipped and, and ready to be out there working for the Lord and serving God in each and every way. I love also what James 1.22 says. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we're implanting the word of God in our heart, which is objective and absolute truth to live by, to be able to go out and serve the Lord the right way. Right? In our culture, moral facts, objective truth, God, the scriptures have been tossed to the wayside. People have opted out of that which God has given us to understand life and instead settled for what they have reasoned to be compassionate and tolerant. Now, before I read the rest of this, there's nothing wrong with compassion and tolerance. We need those things. We need those things in our heart, in our life. One person va uh, values compassion, attempts to solve all problems with compassion, and prioritizes problems requiring compassion. Another person has tolerance and attempts to use tolerance alone to resolve all issues. On the flip side of that, the other end of the spectrum, another uses scripture, but listen to me, but ignores mercy and relationships. And God never intended to be that way. God never intended for us to use Scripture in that way. So when a person does that, they lob truth bombs into the crowd, <laughs> letting the pieces fall where they may, declaring to their victim, the word of God will not return void. There is a time and a place for each of these, but usually the best results, I'm going to say this, and I want you to really hear this, because we're wrapping it up. This is it. The best results are achieved by using them all together. The best results are achieved by using them all together. We all need humility and discernment, love, grace, and the objective, absolute truth of God's word to know how to navigate this life and treat each other like the Bible tells us to. Amen? We'll never accomplish that by throwing out the Word of God. And we'll never accomplish it by being ungracious and unloving. Those things have to all work together. Church, my desire... And, and, I, and I believe it's the desire of the staff, and I believe it's the desire of, of the leadership of the church, is for our church to be welcoming and faithful. Right? Welcoming and faithful. One of the things that I liked about the movement, the Jesus Revolution, was that the pastor, who's by, who, by the way, his name was Pastor Chuck. <laughs> Not Chucky. He realized that 
his church was closed to people who had been shunned, closed to people who, who people had judged them already. Their doors were closed to those people. And he realized the doors needed to be open to those people. Because if you get right down to it, we're all those people. All of us are those people. <laughs> and so we need to look at everyone and have open arms. Amen? And teach them the word of God. They work together. This was not written as a club. This was written as a loving letter to us. God gave us all of this because he loves us. <laughs> and so let's use it in that way. In love. In grace. In compassion. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is, it is absolute truth. We thank you, Lord, that you gave it to us because you love us. Lord, you wanted to direct our paths in the right way. You wanted to help us to know how to live, how to learn, how to grow, how to live this life and what to do and what not to do. And Lord, you gave it to us because you care. You care about our lives. Lord, you want us to know how to treat people, how to forgive, how to have compassion, how to embrace the, the little ones. How to care for the elderly. There's so much in this word. It's, it's all for our life. It's all so good. Help us, Lord, to embrace it with the understanding that it's given to us with love and grace and compassion. And as we receive it, Lord, that we will be people that receive it that way, but then also turn around and use it in that way as well. Because, Lord calling all people to you, all people. Help us to have open arms. Help us to be welcoming and faithful to your word. Lord, guide us in these things because, Lord, in this day and culture, in this time, when things are so confusing and things are so uh, on edge, we, the church, need to be setting the pace of what it means to be loving and caring and compassionate and gracious and people of truth. To be that way, Lord, we need, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us, to strengthen us, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to be our teacher and our helper. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be that. We want to be the kind of church that you want us to be that you have called us to be. Thank you, God, for all of the things that you've given us and the blessings of today and the blessings of each other. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name.